us the seed, Lord God, as we scattered in, in this world, that your word would go forth. Help us to connect that need so that hearts are open to receive you. We give you this offering in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, you ready for a snowball fight, Don? <laughs> no, we do. this is not an outside lesson. <laughs> but my message is entitled, Choose Your Snowball. The word snowball often has a negative meaning for a couple of reasons. First of all, some of you have already seen enough snow to last for a while, but we still have a few months to go, right? Yes. Right. But the other reason is when we're warned not to let things snowball and have all of our problems compact together as we roll downhill. Yet in a related sense, not with problems, but with godly wisdom, we should be doing exactly that. We should be making every attempt to snowball the wisdom of God, building one teaching upon another, compacting everything together, studying the Word as a complete teaching, not as bits of it taken out of context. A lot of the false teachers and the false teaching today takes one piece of teaching and builds a whole doctrine out of it instead of studying the whole breadth of the Word of God together. In fact, it's just like a snowball that's only rolled on one side to the point where it gets lopsided and starts rolling in a crooked line. Our doctrine gets lopsided if we do not study a balanced portion of the Word of God. Therefore, I want to take a look at a book in the Bible that's known for its wisdom. Now, you know in the Old Testament, the book that's known for its wisdom is what? Proverbs, okay? Do you know that there is a Proverbs-type book in the New Testament? It's the book of wisdom, and it is the book of James. Um, and so we're going to take a look at James today. A really important book. In fact, there's a whole chapter on just the tongue and how to speak and what not to say. You familiar with that verse? All right? And so there's a lot of wisdom that we can glean from James. So I want to take a look at that. In James 1, verse 1, James begins, he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. See, the word bondservant is often interpreted in many modern traditions as the word slave. The bad thing about this interpretation is that America has such a preconceived idea about this word because of our sinful past that most readers just write off this introduction. Oh, he didn't really mean that or that's an archaic word. However, a bondservant is vastly different than a slave. A slave is held in bondage against his will to work for a master. A bondservant, on the other hand, is someone who has volunteered to give up his will and willingly indenture himself and his services to another forever. A bondservant has such love and trust for his master that he voluntarily, voluntarily gives up his own will, submits himself to the will of his master, and is at his beck and call. In order for someone to come to this place, there has to be a willingness, first of all, to be broken and to be vulnerable before God. 
And when, the Holy, when this Holy Spirit-led journey allows this brokenness, we find that God is graceful and lovingly forgives us and redeems us. And many people, because of hurts in their past, they have this fear of being vulnerable even before God. And yet we know unless, that, unless we go before God broken so that He can put us back together, then we never get to that full uh, redemption, that full healing process. God brings you to a place where you willingly let go of your will and choose to submit to Him because you fully trust the Good Shepherd to lead you and to guide you. Thus, James begins the core of his snowball by saying, as Christians, we must all be willing to give up our will and completely follow Jesus. And then James identifies his audience to whom he is writing He writes to those scattered abroad. As the message of Jesus grew, people began to spread out and scatter for various reasons. Some moved on their own, while most most of the early Christians were scattered and forced to move because of persecution. But regardless of how or why they moved, followers of God are, are, are now all over the world. This includes you and I. How many of you have ever wondered why you ended up right here in Roscommon? Why not Florida? I always told my wife, I feel I have a calling to go witness to Mickey and Goofy and Donald Duck. Just kidding. I'm glad he led us here. But why, but why Roscommon? Why, any of you, why, are you uh, why not Florida? Why not Arizona? In fact, why not Europe? Why not China? Why not Asia? Why right here? It's because God purposely, listen to this, God purposely scatters His children so they can be an an influence around the world in every locale. Even if you don't understand why you are in the place that you are currently in, never doubt for one minute that God can use you exactly where you are. You may feel like you have been scattered from your family or your friends or maybe from your desires. But God has called you to be a light for Him right here. And James recognizes this fact by addressing this letter at the very beginning to the scattered. That's all of us. Therefore, we add this perspective to our snowball. This is not just a letter from James to a holy people in Asia. It is a letter to all of us as we seek to know the wisdom of God in finding our direction and purpose in life. James 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, persever- produces patience. See, what are the next layers of the snowball? How about joy and trials and testing and patience? Sure, I know what you're all thinking. I'll pack plenty of joy on my snowball and I'll leave that trial and testing snow for someone else. Well, the problem is that many people are lopsided because they've only sought after the world's definition of joy, which is incomplete. Yet James is clear that joy doesn't come from satisfying our fleshly desires. Rather, it comes from the testing of our faith through trials and tribulation and challenges. The world's joy or happiness is often an immediate gratification which tells you that something is lacking. 
for immediate joy fades away like water evaporating off the sidewalk. On the contrary, James teaches us that joy is related to the production of patience, which obviously takes some time. How many of you have ever prayed for God to give you patience? If you haven't done it, be careful, because He'll give you a trial to develop patience. Right? In other words, joy is related to the production of patience, which takes a long time. So joy is in the deferred rewards program. Yet that is precisely why godly joy is so powerful. Joy gained through trials and the testing of our faith is what allows us to become broken for God. It's what allows us to understand our purpose when the enemy tries to discourage us as being scattered and lost. This joy which is forged in the fiery trials of opposition and injustice eventually comes out stronger than ever if we persist to stay close to God, trusting in Him for guidance and for strength, and eventually cultivating a godly patience so that we can endure whatever the world throws at us. The understanding of how godly joy is manifested in our lives is an encouragement to know that this joy is long-lasting and cannot be taken from us. For if it is cultivated in the middle of trials and unfair happenings, then it is not conditional like the world's joys. In fact, Galatians 5:22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now as you know, fruit doesn't appear instantly. Only the buds and the blossoms do. But eventually in time, if it is watered and nourished and protected, a tree will produce fruit. Likewise, the feelings of joy that the world gives are like blossoms. They appear quickly, are pleasing to the senses, but they soon fade away. However, if we cultivate the Spirit in our lives, protect it from the contamination, wash it with the water of God's Word, and nourish it with our devotion, we will bear fruits of love and peace and joy. Do you see what's happened in the world today? Too many people are trying to do things in their own strength without the Spirit. They're trying to cultivate or manufacture love or peace or joy on their own, but they're just blossoms that fade away. But if we devote ourselves to God and to one another by the Spirit, then we cultivate a godly love and joy and peace which does not pass away. Amen? If the world's joys are immediate and result from gratifying pleasures instead of gain through trials, then why do so many Christians today settle for world's the world's joys. It's probably because they have not read and studied the entirety of the Word, including the book of James. So with our snowball now packed with brokenness and servitude and direction for the scattered and joy born in the adversity of trials, let us continue. James 1.4 But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. See, one of the biggest problems people have is not allowing patience to have its perfect work. Think of it this way. When you're baking a cake, 
The directions on the box give you a simple way to see if the cake is baked thoroughly. Do you know what I'm talking about? You insert a toothpick into the center of the cake and then you pull it to check it out. If nothing sticks to the toothpick, it's done. If something sticks to it, it's not done. Even though it may look golden brown on the outside and ready to frost, the cake cannot be judged as ready until the inside is judged as done. Unfortunately, we too often think that we have completed a trial or a challenge or the work of God is, is done in a satisfactory way according to us, we think. We think we've survived the test and so we start to put the frosting on and start to celebrate. However, this joy is short-lived if our insides have not been fully baked. What I mean is this. If we have not let patience have its perfect work, when we are poked or picked, our flesh comes out. We get offended. We get angry. We become judgmental and critical, which either competes with or completely overtakes our joy. However, if we let patience have its perfect work and we are fully baked during our trials, then we will know we are complete when nothing sticks to the pick. When you're poked and none of you comes out in the process. Only God comes out in the process. Only His grace comes out in the process. Take a moment right now and look at the trials that God has ordained you to walk in and through in the past week or the past month. When you were poked by injustice, when you were picked by things that didn't go your way, did anything stick? If you're honest, did anger come out? How about offense or worry or blaming or complaining? Maybe hopelessness or fear or doubt. If we don't take the time and make the effort to submit to God during our trials, then what is inside of us will come out and it can be very destructive. In fact, Jesus taught on this subject. See, it's not the, not the stuff out there that's destroying us. It's not the breakdown of the moral fabric of society. It's not the, all the evils in the world. Jesus talked about this and where this comes from. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Jesus said this, What comes out of a man, that is what defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile a man. This should be a clear indication to all of us that we are in denial if we think it's the world's injustices that are to blame for destroying people's lives and causing anger and apathy. Jesus clearly tells us that it's what's inside of us that defiles us. Deep inside all of us is a sinful nature which desperately wants to speak. It wants a voice. It seeks to be heard. If we do nothing during our trials and just wait them out, it'll come out, the flesh will come out of us and start to complain and swear and vent and accuse and blame and make us become ripe for sin. It is this voice that we must work hard to silence 
by surrendering to God and asking for His daily help. How many know living this life as a Christian is not easy? Right? It's not. It's not. We are saved, we're redeemed, but it's not easy. It's a daily battle of daily dying to yourself and daily putting on the armor of God. If this voice with inside of us, the sinful nature, if it is not silenced by us submitting to God, then when the toothpick goes in and out, things stick to it. One of the best ways that we can see if anything sticks to the pick is by examining what we have shared with others. Have you found yourself doing more complaining to others about injustice or encouraging others to trust God through injustice? If one were to ask your closest friends, your closest family members and co-workers what you have shared in the past week, what would that report be like? You see, it's often difficult to hear the truth. But only by being honest can we produce the joy and patience that prepares us for what lies ahead. God is saying, let that, let that trial be completed so that patience is developed. None of us are there. Okay? But God gives us grace to look at those things and continue to submit to Him each and every day. Not out of condemnation, but out of an invitation to trust Him and to follow Him so that He can day by day make us more like Jesus Christ. It's not that people that are broken that are losing right now. It's the people that are honest, honest enough to say, God, I've messed up. I've blown it. I should know better, but I've blown it. That, that's what God's looking for, is an honest response to say, God, I've blown it. I need you. All of us are in that same spot. All of us need God because all of us blow it with God. If we don't evaluate ourselves, we leave the oven too early. We exit the trial prematurely and move forward thinking that we've survived a trial or a challenge. The world would have you think that it's time to celebrate before you're fully done. However, there are too many unbaked cakes with frosting in this world right now. Looking beautiful on the outside, but incomplete and empty on the inside. If this describes you in any way, don't panic. Just step back from the party. Remove the frosting and finish the trial and let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete and lacking nothing. It's not something you get up here in front of everybody to tell what's going on. It's not something you post on Facebook or social media. It's you in, in your quiet time with God saying, God, forgive me, I've messed up. Help me to trust you as my good shepherd to complete the work that you began in me. I guarantee you, if you leave the trial when things are still sticking to the pick, there's an even greater trial waiting for you around the corner that will test your resolve again. Until we can learn to respond by trusting and praising God, we are not ready to graduate from trials. Besides Jesus, there is one other person in the Bible who had more experience with trials than anyone. His name was Job. Yet through it all, Job continued to trust God even when he lost all of his belongings and his family and his sheep and all these things that happened, and yet he still trusted God through it all. In fact, his friends were watching him as he went through trials. 
As, he, as you go through trials, it's not just your words that you share with your friends that you've been witnessing to. It's them watching you, waiting to see how you're going to respond when you go through a trial. And that Job's friends were waiting for him because they wanted to see him broken. They wanted to see him curse God. They wanted to say, hear him say, I'm, I'm leaving this stuff. That's when your witness is the strongest. And that's what we learn from Job. In Job 13.15, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It sure seems unfair. But I know that God's purposes are greater than my purposes. And nothing will change that, my connection to him, that though he slay me, or though I continue to go through trials that seem unjust and unfair, I'm going to continue to trust him. We all must stay in the heat long enough to complete the work. That's what the trials in this life are about. Of course, they're not fun if you're judging the process of it. But if you develop the patience, which is also one of the fruits of the Spirit, then you can look to the end of your trial for what it will complete in you. You have a choice of what snowball you will pick. You can pick the one with the core of anger, when your needs don't get met. And if you don't take it to God, it snowballs into hurt and offense and criticism and judging of others and jealousy and unforgiveness and a host of all other kinds of sins. And there's a lot of snowballs out there right now. Or you can choose the snowball of humility, brokenness for God, servitude, trusting in the Lord through your trials, Staying in the heat and keeping your mouth closed so that nothing sticks when you're picked. That's why we need one another. That's why we celebrate new membership because we need one another to help us continue to roll that snowball of wisdom that God grants. The choice is yours. But before you choose, understand that you cannot do any of this on your own. You will need the wisdom of God to know where and how to begin. If there's one thing that God has overflowing amounts of, it's wisdom. Yet wisdom often does not even crack the top ten of things that people ask for in prayer. Many people pray for things, for relationships, for peace, for jobs, and for finances. And while all of those are things that we can pray for, there's one thing that God invites us to ask for. We see it in James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice what James tells us that God gives to all who ask. It's not money. There's many churches in the land today that say if you ask God for money, He'll bless you financially. It's not what the Word of God says. He gives wisdom to all liberally without reproach. That is what we are supposed to ask for. For that is what Solomon, the great man of wisdom, it's what he asked for in a prayer, in a prayer that pleased God. See, God had appeared to Solomon at Gibeon, and, he, and, and God said to Solomon, He said, Ask whatever you want of me. How many of you would love to have that open blank check from God? Ask whatever you want from me. How would you respond? How would Solomon respond? Well, in 1 Kings 3, 7, 8, we see this. 
Solomon says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. You see, Solomon could have turned his prayer into a complaint session right there. He could have asked for God to bring down his enemies. He could have asked for a different assignment. One that better suited his talents. Yet Solomon knew God's heart. And so his request was different. Look at verse 9. Solomon continued, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? This speech by Solomon, it says, pleased the Lord. That Solomon had asked this thing. It was amazing enough that Solomon had a blank check opportunity from God. But even more amazing is that Solomon's request pleased the Lord. Think about that for a minute. It wasn't something that Solomon did that pleased the Lord. It was something that Solomon asked of God that pleased him. Why did this request for wisdom please God? It was because in asking for wisdom... Solomon acknowledged his trust in the Lord that wherever God had called him to stand and serve, God would provide for him and give him whatever he needed to be successful. When you ask for God for wisdom, instead of saying to take you out of trials or remove this challenge, you're saying, God, I understand you put me here and I ask you to give me wisdom so I can go through it with you. That's a total trust builder right there. No matter what injustice, what challenge, or what trial came his way, Solomon knew that all he had to do was to rely on God's wisdom and direction, and he would be able to navigate clearly. Therefore, in asking for wisdom, we acknowledge our trust in the Lord. Verse 11, Then God said to Solomon, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Verse 12, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. You see, not only does it please the Lord when we ask for wisdom, but sometimes He gives us even more than what we ask for if our heart is right. Verse 13, And I have also given you, God goes on, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. If you are seeking ways to honor God, then ask for wisdom. Think about it. If we ask to be released from our trials and our struggles, we are telling God that we don't like the plan that He has designed for us to develop perseverance and faith and patience and joy. But if we ask for God to give us the wisdom to handle our trials, He will lead us every step of the way and it will please Him that we have chosen to put our complete trust in Him. 
Very few of you know what happened to us to lead us here. It was a lot of very unfair injustices that happened to us. And we could have complained and vented, and eventually God said, if you complain, you complain against my trials to, to drive you to a place to scatter you here. As we trusted God, God scared us to be right here. And I can tell you that not every day were we perfect. We messed up a lot. But as we continue to respond to God's grace, that each and every day His mercies are new, each and every morning His compassions fail not, God eventually led us to be right here, to be part of this family. Therefore, James reiterates the fact by commanding us to ask God for wisdom. James 1.6 But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by wind. The reason why many people doubt what they ask for is because they are asking for everything besides wisdom. It's almost as if there's long lines for everything else, but few are standing in the wisdom line. Everyone wants the blessings and all these things, but there's this line over here, and there's no one waiting in line. Few are standing in the wisdom line, even though that's the reward that God is willing to give out the most. James tells us to step boldly up to this line and ask with confidence for God to fill us with His wisdom. Last verse, James 1, 7-8. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If I'm going to ask for wisdom, I'm going to believe that God is going to give me that wisdom to go through the trial that He ordained me to walk through so I could perfect patience so I can have it to His glory. You see how it all connects to build like a snowball? If we are broken and humble before God, we will accept the fact that He has purposely scattered us for His purposes. There's no need to worry or fear. As we face the trials that inevitably come into our lives, we can know that God has a greater purpose in the trial in just helping us to survive it. He is producing patience and strength and joy to establish us for His glory. Yet we cannot reach this place on our own. We cannot navigate this trial ourselves. So God invites us to ask for wisdom. In doing so, we openly acknowledge that we trust Him by refusing to complain. How good are you at doing that? Would you ever put duct tape across your mouth because you can't keep your mouth closed? I'm not asking you to. But what are you? at what length are you willing to do is to say, God, I know you're doing something inside of me. I don't want to release in that pressure to come out and complaining. God, I want to trust you. And even though my flesh wants to speak, it's just my flesh. But God, I want to trust you and submit to you. I want to be your bondservant. I want to lay it on my will and connect it to yours so that you can live through me. Ultimately, as we trust God to guide us through a minefield of challenges and opposition. This builds our faith like nothing else can. And faith is what allows us to receive all the precious promises from our Heavenly Father, beginning with His perfect love. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you allow us by your grace to consider ourselves not in shame, not in guilt, but as a, as a project that's in the process. We're not judging ourselves as done, and so naturally we still have, all have a, a ways to go. And so we thank you that by your grace, you give us what we need. Help us to ask for wisdom, to give us what we need to make it through a trial, to learn what you've taught us. Help us to respond in grace, not in reaction. God, we all mess up and we all fail, but we thank You that Your Word says that when we come to You and admit to You that You forgive us of our sins and You give us grace to get up and stand the next day. Wherever we are at, God, we ask that You would give us that grace to stand and to continue for You. God, I pray right now that You would just let our faith Arise in each one of us as we continue to seek you in all we do.